Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is the Brucklery Podcast with me, as uh, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Today, uh, we learned from uh, last night that um, the Trudeau gentleman, the liberal, won the, um, uh, the election in Canada, defeating uh, Harper, who was a fantastic conservative president, probably one of the best leaders the world has known in, in today's present democracies, I guess among today's uh, present democracies. Uh, really sad. Uh, ten, ten years of some really great uh, leadership, uh, but the problem is that uh, now we're not going to see him anymore, and it's, uh, the, the, um, the liberals have promised that they will engage in deficit spending and try to do the same old garbage that Obama did with the stimulus program. I'm um, hoping that surely it'll, it'll work in Canada, where it never worked in America, and it never worked previously in history. But by all means, let's do it again, because this time, surely it'll work. Because communists was not tried right. <laughs> That's we're right. Gonna, we're going to get it right one of these days. <laughs> well, Just... If it's done correctly, and then you ask them, how do you do it correctly? You know, it's t- tell me how that works, right? With, <laughs> just, I don't know what liberal professor must have told them that. Anyway, obviously, uh, we're not saying that Trudeau is a communist necessarily, but they don't realize that, you know, a, a little bit of communism is not any better than a lot of communism. It's just, uh, I mean, it's just a little bit of poison compared to a lot of poison. That's what it is. So you'll be very sick as opposed to dead uh, with, with the com- with the the social programs that they propose. Anyway, I was thinking about it as uh, on the way into work today, and I, I and I just thought, you know, maybe it's inevitable. You know, after ten years, you, you know, it's very hard to maintain a conservative uh, leadership for that long, and or for that matter, any any uh, position of power, whether it's liberal or conservative. But it just goes to show that a lot of times the the people are fickle. Uh, what happened in Canada was that the economy took a stronger downturn uh, in, in the last uh, three or four months. Uh, there are some that say that part of it was because he was too aggressive against the Muslims. I don't think so. But uh, certainly the economy was a factor. It always is a factor. And uh, you have Trudeau saying, I'll, uh, I'll change things. You know, and, and basically he said hope and change in French. And that's how it worked. 
and uh, boom, now they have a new liberal leader. Good luck to you. Uh, well, I guess we'll wait, look forward to the next elections. And he's promising things like relaxing the rules about being able to vote wearing a burqa. I mean, this guy's pro-Islamism. Right. Well, the same yeah. Islamist ideas of a Merkel or European leaders are causing these changes to the culture that become impossible yeah, to stop. Yeah, very true. And of course, he's of course very anti-Israel. As is all the intellectual elite. You know I, that I didn't know. Trudeau is anti-Israel. Uh, he obviously, it's. He, I mean, I'm, not surpri- I I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But well, hold on. Yeah. I'm not surprised because he belongs to the liberal camp, and those who are anti-Israel, almost all of them vote in a in a liberal way. So, as I told you before, I, I one of the one of the many reasons why I left the the Democratic Party was because I, I felt like I was so alone when it came to Israel, and I had to convince my Democratic compadres. That gosh, you know, Israel's pretty good. Let me explain to you, please. And then I, I, I realized, you know, if I just join the Republicans, I won't have to explain nothing to nobody. They're all on my side on this issue. Why wouldn't I do that? And that's not just Israel, because I'm not a one-issue voter. But it turns out I'm for decency. In that sense, I am a one-issue voter, right? I, I am for decency and what is morally right. And it turns out um, the conservative platform is is a position that that embraces all of that. And Israel's one of those issues. Anyway, you were going to say. Well, this is the real kicker. I hope you have your seatbelt on for this one. I do. He attacked Harper for going after ISIS too strongly. (laughs) I didn't know this. Right. In in other words, he's a standard university professor mentality holding liberal who always sides with the bad guys over the good, the indecent over the decent, the moral you know, uh, uh, have at it, do whatever you want instead yep. of strict ideas and values. And the Islamism that he sides with is just part of the default positions of any intellectual elitist from any part of the Western world. Yeah. It's, uh, well, uh, look, I, if you are a liberal, do write us. Uh, we, we do receive your letters, at, your emails rather, at info at lurry-law.com, info at lurry-law.com, or feel free to call into our Sunday show uh, in, here in Los Angeles on AM 870, the answer, and call us at uh, 866-870-5752. Between 10 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Thank you very much. Exactly right. So, uh, look, I, um, I, I'm, what I want you to call in is why do you feel, you know, if you're a liberal, do you feel strongly about fighting ISIS? And for that matter, do you feel strongly about a strong America? And do you feel that uh, America's role in the world is too strong, too present, too whatever? Um, and, and do we need to push back? And then uh, regarding Israel, do you feel that we should be pulling back from the support that we have for Israel? And if so, why so? Right. That, that those are very important questions. And, and, and if you're Jewish, for that matter, uh, please definitely write me and ask why and tell me why you think uh, the various... Uh, Machinations of this president, and for that matter, Trudeau, might be good for Israel somehow. Uh, are you a J Street Jew, meaning somebody that f- uh, feels that uh, that Israel should give up whatever the Arabs want because that'll be somehow better for Israel? I'm curious to hear your explanations and your beliefs, because there certainly are a few of them out there. The good news is that there are more and more conservative Jews out there than ever before. And almost all of them are the ones who are the more religious Jews, those who are Observant, those who uh, actually go to synagogue, they tend to uh, think politically and 
vote politically uh, conservative. Very pleased to say that. Uh, that gets us to the next point, which is a very fascinating situation in Germany right now. As you may know, uh, there has been a lot of anti-immigrant, uh, particularly Syrian immigrant, uh, sentiment going in Europe, and they are beginning to sense that the, um, the, the immigration crisis is going to swallow them all. And uh, it's all under the, uh, with the environment of uh, racism being thrown about and, and claims of intolerance and such. But the reality is they have a, an immigration problem. They have a Muslim problem, a radical Muslim problem in Germany, France, and England and other co countries throughout uh, Europe. They have a huge rape problem. Uh, they have an enslavement problem, but uh, you know, if you uh, if you bring it up, then it's then it's racist. Well, from what you just described, I don't think they have an immigration problem at all. It sounds like they have an invasion problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds is, like it, they're being um, let me find the word conquered. Yeah, it, it is an invasion problem. Look at the in the old days, uh, uh, you know, when Europe was fighting uh, Islam and Islam was trying to conquer Europe. Uh, Europe f did fight back, but it was very hard for it to do so. It eventually succeeded in doing so by holding back, uh, I believe it was uh, Charlemagne who, who fought back uh, significantly against uh, the Muslims and held them back in, in uh, France and Spain. I could be wrong in my history, but I'm quite sure I'm right. Um, and eventually the Muslim conquest of Europe faded and retreated. Why? Because of our favorite topic that we like to talk about, which is passion. You have to have passion. You have to believe in your faith of who you are, whether it's Christianity or Judaism. Otherwise, it ain't going to work because they have all the passion on their side. And they have a lot of um, the, the tantrums on their side, too. It's, it's so passionate that they cannot see beyond their, their passion. In other words, they can't even imagine that somebody else might have a religious belief that is just as valid as their own belief. They don't, they don't see that. Now, obviously, I'm talking about the radical Muslims. I'm not talking about the moderate Muslims that we no doubt have plenty of here in Los Angeles, and I've met them, and some of them have even been my clients. But I do wish that those moderate Muslims would speak out and say, this, is, this ain't who we are. You, uh, you radical Muslims, you are giving Islam a very bad name. Uh, this is not what Allah is about. Uh, we're all about peace indeed. Uh, but we don't hear this. We don't. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's one, once in a while you, you, you hear one speaker speaking out about it, but he's, he's attacking Islam itself. Uh, he, he still identifies himself as a, as a Muslim, but he says that we are in the grips of a terrible crisis and we need to stop this right now. Even al-Sisi in Egypt said exactly the same, this, right? He, he was the brave one in the middle of the, in the belly of the beast, as it were, fighting against radical Islam. All right, so there, going back to, the, um, to what's happening in, in Europe, there is a galvanizing uh, resistance toward this immigration policy. It's a grassroots thing that is now grabbing hold dramatically as a result of Angela Merkel's opening of the, uh, of the border of 800,000 um, uh, Syrian immigrants. And of course, not all of them are Syrian, and most of them are men. But who's counting? Well-fed. <laughs> well exactly. Wealthy. Yeah. It, it, clearly, this is, this, is a, this is an opportunity for the, uh, the Muslims, to, the radical Muslims, the ISIS members to come in and, and make, a, make a, 
a dig into the into Europe. Very concerning. Okay, now, what would you do if you're a German citizen, a French citizen, and you see your country being overrun? Do you get to, at any point, get up and say, what the frig is happening here? Can, can you complain about your government doing what it's doing, about letting all these people in? Or do you have to fear being labeled a hate monger because you don't want just anybody walking over the border? I mean, I, I mean, we're not racist because we want to prevent uh, illegal aliens, whether they are Mexican or Guatemalan or Honduran or anything else. I don't want anybody coming in. I don't want, I don't want a, uh, an English person just walking over yeah. to the American, uh, um, to the, over the border and saying, I'm, I'm here by an American citizen. Or the Canadians. Or the Canadians. Good example. I don't, it, it, I don't care what their skin color is. I don't care what their religion is. I don't care what their nationality is. I want them to play it fair. Otherwise, there's just no point. It, it's like, you know, I rent, I rent properties. I, I don't let anyone in. They have to you know, meet the lease standards and they have to pay the, they have to pay my rent and everything else. Otherwise, if I just say, if, if somebody pointed to me and said, you need to let everyone who wants to stay into your house to stay into your house. Okay. Well, why, why do I even have a house? What's the point? People seem to understand this in their own daily lives. They're, they're very happy to protect their own homes, sometimes with guns, by the way. But when it comes to and security guards and, and security measures, but when it comes to their own country, they treat it as if it's, uh, you know, come on in, everybody. Uh, you know, until they get maimed, until they're the victim of a crime caused by an illegal immigrant, that's the time that they suddenly realize the problem. And that's the, the point of this podcast. When will the Europeans realize that they have a problem? And I'm not just talking about this, this group that, that is understandably getting upset about the immigration crisis. Because they certainly understand it. But when, when will Europe as a whole, you know, instead of going to work every day and just kind of, you know, going about their, their duties and, and, you know, selling their hot dogs and performing their legal, legal work and, their, and going to the hospital to perform their services as a, as a medicine person, when will they realize they're, they're at war? When will they realize that their whole country, their whole way of life is under attack? Obviously, when it's too late. Problem is, it already is too late, and they yeah. haven't re realized it. The majority hasn't realized it in the collective sense yeah. to do anything about it. But that's human nature. Human nature only realizes these things when they're too late. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like that uh, famous line that I heard somebody said before, like, a, you have only $500 in your bank account, and, and you think, well, I must be okay because i got plenty of checks, right? I mean, it... Yeah. You can write against it, and the bank can maybe even give you an overdraft from time to time. But at some point, you're not going to be able to, to do anything about that. But you, can, you have to look at your bank account at some point and realize that you have nothing there. Or if you like a better, more visual metaphor, if you're driving toward a cliff, maybe you ought to think about you know, making a decision to go right or left. And I'm not speaking politically, just simply to get the hell out of the, out of the way before you go over the cliff. And they're not doing that. They're, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're, they're truly going over this cliff. But, you know, you made a great point earlier about how voters in the Canadian situation were finicky or fickle. Yeah. And it leads to one of my rules about life, which is conservatism, when in, in place running a country, is so successful, it allows people the luxury of complacency. 
When life is good, you forget the world is a dangerous place. And you forget that you have to be vigilant against evil. Yeah, that's always true. And until we are... And, and being shocked back from your uh, complacency into vigilance is a very difficult emotional process for people. It's, it's hard work. People, people do not understand that vigilance is part of your life. And, and, and the only way to maintain that vigilance is actually to know about history, to, to learn about the possibilities of, of, of terror coming in and dictatorship always taking over, that those are the norms. And to understand that what we experience here in America is truly a unique phenomenon. This is unique not only uh, in time, but geographically as well. We think it's, it's uh, somehow the norm. And, and to look at to look at it uh, as anything else, it's it's like, I don't know, it's like being in a in a hurricane, but you're in some sort of bubble, and uh, you're being tossed and turned, but you don't quite realize that you're being tossed and turned because you've got some sort of gyro mechanism that, that kind of more or less keeps you in balance. But and, and you think it's not wet either. But guess what? You're in the middle of a friggin' storm, and that's the way it is here. We we are, without realizing it. We are surrounded by evil. We are surrounded by would-be dictators. And we are surrounded by time, both in the future and in the past, of, of the natural tendency toward dictatorship and how hard it is uh, to, uh, to maintain a democracy. It's, it's like anything else. You, you have to constantly weed the garden, constantly tend to the garden, make sure that termites are not uh, invading your house, and it's a lot easier to let it go than it is to maintain it. This, this should be obvious, and no one seems to understand that. Yeah. And, and in the socialist world, it's even worse in Europe because they have all these goodies. And it's, in, in the socialist mindset, it is imperative that you think to yourself, the money will always keep coming. So you are incentivized, now that I think about it, you're incentivized to numb your brain to say... Things will never change. Now, what did you just describe there? You just described the symptoms of a particular disease. What is it? Liberalism. No, alcoholism or drug addiction. <laughs> okay. It, and that, but that's what liberalism is. Yeah. That's what socialism is. It, it incentivizes you to numb your brain so you feel like everything's okay. I'm great. I'm beautiful. I'm healthy. All the while you're taking poison that is killing you minute by minute. Yeah. The system requires you, the socialist system, requires you, the participant in the socialist system, to uh, always believe that things will be just the same now and in the future, and, and always will be, and because it, it, here's a system that promises you promises you all this, uh, all these goodies, all these pensions, all these retirements, all these vacation plans, and such like that. You put into the system, and you will get the goodies on the back end before you die, and your children will get those same benefits. You don't you know, and so it requires you to think this way, and so. Hence the resistance. I think that's part of the reason why they're so resistant to realizing uh, what's surrounding them, that they're in fact going to lose this, what they be may believe, believe is a utopian system, but they're going to lose it. And, and it, you're just going to, at some point, you're going to have to understand that there's a sacrifice to be involved. And that sacrifice is that you can't uh, have all the goodies anymore. And a society that stays whole for the long term. And you know what's so interesting is 
based on what you just described, you, we as conservatives so often say that conservatism takes into account human nature and that this, the socialists don't take into account human nature. How, they don't understand human nature. No, they understand human nature even better than we do, and they've designed a system of governments that plays on human nature's flaws and weaknesses. Well, and, and, more, and more to your point, um, capitalism, as, a, as opposed to socialism, capitalism does exactly the opposite. And, and, and than what we just said. It does not numb your brain. On the contrary, it says, stay on your toes, dude, because if, if you can't provide a service, if you can't provide a goodie for yourself, and if you can't provide for your own future, not depending on the, on the, on the, the state to provide that future, well, then you might be out on the street. And so, listen, you know, make something for yourself, uh, meet a demand that's out there, and you might actually be rich, and you can provide for the education of your children and, and many other goodies associated with that. And that's just not the way it is in the socialist world. In the socialist world, um, that's the last thing they want you to think. They, they need you to believe in the system. And so hence the state, that the rulers, the leaders, and everything else, the last thing they'll say is, we've got a problem. They don't want that. And that's what, what you're seeing right now in France, and even in Germany, uh, and to a lesser extent, but still existing in England. And you just saw it yesterday in Canada. Yeah, they just will not. They will not see it, and they're incentivized not to see it. And so they're all complicit in the the success of uh, Islam's the radical Islam's rise and the ultimate destruction of Europe. Yeah, and in another way, you could say it that just struck me is. In capitalism or free market societies, your job as the individual is to find your use. Yeah. In the opposite uh, economic and uh, political system, it's your job to find your uselessness. Right. It, it always struck me as a conservative, and, and when I became a conservative, one of the reasons why I decided to become a conservative is because I appreciated <clears throat> the, the thoughtfulness and the depth with which the... Um, uh, conservative thought. It, 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 um, it's, it always reaches back in history and tries to learn from history. And it's always honest about history, too. And it's, it's extremely, extremely analytical. And you just can't get that same sort of analysis when it comes to uh, liberalism. It just, it's, it's just not there. Uh, because, and and, and I, th I believe part of the reason why uh, liberalism doesn't want to teach history or at least not actual correct history, is because they know uh, the teaching of history will inform people enough to make them realize that maybe the, the liberalism doesn't work. And, and hence the whole debate about FDR, for example, which is a classic you know, fulcrum moment in history. The depression needs to be studied correctly. And because if it were studied correctly, you would know that it is the best example of liberalism gone awry and how horrific it was for, for the, the world and how liberalism can somehow manage to escape that, that indictment that the Depression was, that it was such great proof of how destructive liberalism was. And what they say instead is, well, you know, because it was such a, the, the roaring 20s and how crazy that was, they make it seem as if somehow it was a one-time affair. No, there were many little recessions and, and deep recessions back then, but this was the first time that a very liberal president responded in such a liberal way, and it only made the problem so bad. 
and the amazing history of lesson of the depression also is an indictment of the Republican establishment because the first actor in response to the 1929 market crash was Herbert Hoover who responded with centrist liberal GOP yeah. establishment policies that, that set the stage for the justification of FDR's extremism. Uh, uh, it was just like George Bush with TARP leading to Obama. Okay. So, yeah, the, the idea is that we're, we're not forceful enough. I'm talk- And I always talk about liberal policies. I'm not, I don't talk about uh, somebody who has an R after his name or an uh, or D after his name. The issue is whether liberal policies are at play. Yeah, that's and, my point. It didn't matter which party. The exactly. liberal policies of either party... Okay, but I don't want to drill down too much on this. I want to really just simply focus on the fact. I gave that as an example more than anything else. I simply am saying that uh, the the erasing of history and the 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 hope, or you know, that they'll twist history for you, so that so that people are actually going around thinking that liberalism works. They actually think that the New Deal was a good thing somehow. That it, it brought the country out of the Great Depression. It, it's so maddening to to listen to these people and and. And all I say is, well, please prove so. Tell me. And, and then they say, well, because ultimately they say, because my professor told me so. That, that's really where it's at. But the numbing of, of history is necessary uh, in, in all liberalism. And that's part of the reason why I became a conservative, because I, I liked the vigilance that conservative thought uh, brought to, to, the, to the table. And you see it time and time again. A conservative will talk to you about history. A liberal will avoid it. Or, or it, it, even worse, will twist history to his advantage. This is where we are. Now, uh, let's go back to, a little bit to the German uh, uh, speech because it's really fascinating. Um, they are talking about um, the, a massive crowd, and it was a massive crowd of about 40,000, uh, which have uh, turned out to see Tommy Robinson addressed. Uh, the Pegida Pegida Rally uh, in Dresden. Now, what was this all about? It was uh, designed yeah. forty thousand Germans. Okay, turned out on Monday, and uh, and so, the Pegida movement is essentially the equivalent of Tea Party yeah. in Germany. Yeah, or UKIP in England. Thank you for uh, for yeah. I should have I should have uh, made that more clear. I'll just read. Supporters of the anti-refugee Pegida movement gather at Theaterplatz Square to honor the movement's first anniversary. The movement has rapidly expanded since September when Chancellor, Chancellor Angela Merkel opened the, country, the country's borders to refugees. <clears throat> English Defense League founder Tommy Robinson was the guest speaker. Uh, Robinson spoke out in defense of Western civilization. See, this is, this is what we need, uh, in defense of Western civilization. Quote, Europe is in a crossroads, the likes we have not seen since the Crusades. Such threats face us again. Muslim invasion threatened us several times during the Crusades. European civilization is the envy of the world. We must learn from the past in order to face the future. We, we must look back at the battles to save Europe from Islam. The audience applauded loudly when Robinson also defended Israel. Okay. Now this is, but these are the racist, yeah, the so-called you know, racist, yeah, uh, Auschlander German uh, xenophobes, yeah, so uh, applauding Israel, yeah, exactly. And now, first of all, it is a brilliant move. Now, uh, from a cynical point of view, you can say, well, of course they they talked about Israel because they're only doing this to make it clear that they are not racist, but it's really just a, a ploy um, because they'd rather have Israel than than the Muslims. But really, when it comes when push comes to shove, they they also hate those Jews. Look. 
to, to make that argument is a phony argument because you don't have, have any evidence of that. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. Germany of today is wildly different than the Germany of, of the 40s. Uh, yeah, the, the truth is, and I lived in Germany, and I am Jewish, and I can tell you this very clearly. My first uh, girlfriend was, uh, was a German. I loved her. She was great. She's a lovely lady, great friend still, and uh, that's the way it is. Okay? Uh, it's, it's hardly the anti-Semitic uh, place that you may think of it. So it's garbage. The argument is garbage. Um, and, but it is a brilliant move to remind people of the goodness of Western civilization, and it includes Israel as part of that. That Israel is in the vanguard of Western civilization, and that we must protect Israel and, and support Israel in every, in every respect. God bless uh, Tommy Robinson for, for saying exactly that. Uh, very exciting. So uh, now the question is whether or not this will mean anything at the end of the day. But I think it will. When people see that kind of rally and they say to themselves, look, I, I, I really I, I see myself as part of history. And, and what he's doing is actually he's evoking history, talking about history, right? He's talking about the Crusades. I mean, remember what I just said. Uh, he says, Europe is in a crossroads the likes we have not seen since the Crusades. Okay, so, you know, you, that's, that's wild. When you, when you talk about something that happened a thousand years ago, you're basically asking people to see themselves as part of history and reminding them, look, you know, Muslim marauders came in and tried to destroy us before. We had to push them back. No one says that we were bad people back then for pushing them back, but somehow we're bad people now because we won't let them in wholesale. This is, this is the new way of looking at it. And we, 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 those who love European civilization, I don't care what language you speak, it could be Greek, it could be French and German, such like that, but European civilization is something to admire, to hold in awe. And America is part of that. We, we come from Europe. We've given the world democracy and freedom and Christianity and Judaism. We should be very proud of all those things. But, but we need to completely turn people's mindset and to be able to say, we stand for something. Now, it's, it's also brilliant now that I think about it, is that he spoke not necessarily about Christianity, because he knows that there are not enough Christians there to actually support. And but, not enough passionate Christians. Yeah, passionate. But he, he may be getting them by saying, we need to focus on Western civilization to, to remind us who we are and why we are here and what we stand for. Do yeah, we? He made the argument in that phrase, which is very interesting. He said, what we have to defend is our liberalism, yeah. our, our, our progressiveness, our openness, our, our sophistication. And by evoking the Crusades, he didn't say that we Christians have the mindset of Christians a thousand years ago. What he informed the people of is that the Muslim... Uh, conquest of today has the same mentality that Islam had a thousand years ago. Right. That's a powerful right. Right. statement, and, and, which they openly admit. Exactly. You're talking about the fanatical Muslims, right? Yes. Yes. No, they, they hark back to the Crusades, the, the radical Muslims. The entire ideology of Islam is yeah. designed to return the world to the state it was in the year 632. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the caliphate and everything else they wanted back then. They're, they're saying the same thing today. Why is it different? The only thing that's different is we have we have uh, an open border this time. We're, we're letting them in this time. And there are things called nuclear weapons. And, and cars and boats and airplanes that make it even easier to infiltrate. 
and this, move the said yeah. nuclear weapon. Yeah. yeah. So, so no doubt, somebody liberal listening to this will say, "Wow, those that, that Ari and Barack, they sure are." Uh, hmm. They're, xen- there. they're, they're xenophobes, and uh, they, they hate anybody that's not just like them. And, you know, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, of course we reject that. What we are against are people that are trying to destroy my civilization, all yes. the things that we believe in. That's why we have something called countries. Countries are designed to protect uh, a culture that they feel is, is, is meaningful to them. Otherwise, the, the point of borders would be meaningless. Why, why have them at all? It's the same thing as having, you know, why, why do we have property lines for our homes? And until you understand that, the great day that you will understand it, it might, might be too late. It might be the day that, that you're already completely overrun, and, and then suddenly you're, you're bowing to Mecca five times a day or else. Okay? You think I'm being radical? You think I'm being extreme here, my friends? I don't think so. Look how quickly things have happened. You know, just, just in the year... Uh, of of two, the year 2000, I, I, I think 1998, they wrote the, the article, The End of History. Remember this? Because they believed that uh, with the fall of the Soviet Union, there was nothing more that significant that was really going to happen going forward. Boy, were we wrong. I mean, I, I didn't make that prediction. Yeah, but look at the... But the New York Times did make right. that prediction, and they talked about the end of history, and somehow that this, this there's nothing to worry about anymore. This is far more dangerous than than the, anything that the Soviet Union ever uh, presented as a, as a threat. Right, and that's, and that's crystallized uh, the statement I said earlier of the, the natural yearning for complacency. Nothing momentous will ever happen. There'll never be a nuclear war. No one's conquering everyone. We now have uh, you know, a worldwide Federal Express world where you can get any package from anywhere, anytime overnight by 8 a.m. the next day. Yeah. How great is Oh, this is so boring. Relax. Right. Th- that's her attitude. Not whole, knowing that that's a precious thing. Our whole point here is really to talk about the numbing of Europe and how hopefully there'll be some sort of awakening. I don't know. I don't know if it can awaken without the passion that I think is necessary that comes from a, a strong belief in God. I think it's one thing to, to love your Western civilization and to love uh, your Kuchen uh, in Germany and, and to to like, you know, that you can go have whatever job you want and to drink beer whenever you want and such. But those are just manifestations of your culture. It's not what you're about. It doesn't, it doesn't identify you. What does identify you is your faith. That, that ultimately shapes who you are. If you have no sense of God in your life, if, if uh, you, don't have, you don't have a reason to, to fight for God, I don't think you'll fight for your civilization. But hopefully I'm wrong in, that, in this department. Um, but I do know that, that socialism has done everything it can to be complicit in the ultimate invasion of Europe by radical Muslims and Angela Merkel's opening of the German borders for that very purpose, which caused us to, to raise eyebrows, both of us. Now it all makes sense, in a sense, because they just don't want to believe it. And... Tomorrow will always be for them, and it always will be the same. Socialism will always be in their minds, and that's what their leaders need to tell their people. But you know something? It just ain't so. This is Brooke Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Why can't they say what they want? 
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note, and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets? Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. Thanks uh, for coming back. Uh, we are back from our break. All right. So one of the things that is now coming to play, because you have a lot of the uh, debates going on with the Democrats, and Joe Biden just announced that he will not be running, uh, although uh, Ari believes, and maybe he's right, that uh, he's going to come back in, swoop in, if and when uh, Hillary will uh, either pull out for health reasons or for scandal reasons or for or poll reasons that nobody trusts her anymore. So... Um, Joe Biden will be there to help you help yourself. (laughs) That episode of Seinfeld where they're both trying to date the people who just broke up. Yes. I'm not there for you. I'm just there. (laughs) Remember that one? That's right. Yeah. That's right. I'll be there. (laughs) That's that's who Joe Biden is. That's a very good point. Boy, is that is that is that the best you can do, Democrats? <laughs> Joe Biden would be your backup. Like, oh man. Why? Dukakis was busy. Right. <laughs> Mondale was unavailable. <laughs> exactly. You remember when you went to well, when you applied to college? I mean, for all you listeners out there, you know, you applied to colleges and you say, okay, this is my. You know, reach school, meaning the school that you think is eh, probably going to reject you, but nevertheless, you're, you're reaching and you're hoping that maybe they'll somehow let you in. And then there's the backup schools, right? Yeah, Michigan, Ohio State, <laughs> Arizona, <laughs> you know, for what I call football team schools. Right. Well, it, right. Depends, it depends on, on what your level of the GPA is in SAT, right? So everyone has a relative backup school for them. And... You know, you can go to Santa Monica College. And I, by the way, I think Santa Monica College is a great college. It's just very easy to get into. It's my alma mater. Oh, well, there you go. So it's, 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 it's easy to get into. But oddly enough, they actually teach really good classes. And you get good credits. I think you get a great education. But in terms of selectivity and difficulty of getting in, that's not really the issue. Um, but who cares? Your education is all that really matters. And, you know, if you really love learning, well, then who, who cares, you know, whether or not... Uh, all, all the people around you were, were really, you know... Uh, bad students. Bad students or good students for that matter. Look, I, went to, I, I say this because I went to Stanford myself, so I have some 
some uh, gravitas to say that it doesn't matter, right? So. Easy for you to say, Stanford boy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's the easiest thing to say when you've been to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be humble here. Right. <laughs> Tell you you can't work under these conditions. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so here we go. Uh, so, so, so Joe Biden, really, that's your safety. That's, that's what I want to say. Like, of all the Democrats out there, of all the, like, Evan Bayh, why not him? He was great, right? I mean, don't you have somebody like Evan Bayh, if not exactly him, that, that has just somehow got some sort of chops to him that doesn't, you know, have halitosis of the, of the brain when, when he speaks about it, this, this or that issue? I mean, really, come on. this is the guy who says... They want to put you all in chains and the other kind of crazy things that, that Joe, Joe that, Biden has said. That'll come yes, out over and over again. People work at 7-Eleven. You know, he tells the guy in the wheelchair to stand up. I mean, <laughs> he violates the Democrats' own codes of speech and conduct. Yeah, in every respect. I, I think the phrase you're looking for that you're sort of circling around, which I think is just so prescient, is you're looking for – don't they have anyone normal? Yeah, that's all, that's all I want. Just Some, normal. <laughs> somebody that is um, – you know, speaks reasonable. Who can say that um, that they've got some ideas and they want to that they can handle the economy and everything else? And yeah, and, and throw out all the other crap about equality, about women and everything else. And you know, it's really a phenomenal thing to hear Joe Biden speak because he has been wrong on literally everything, at least from a foreign policy point of view. And and, and for that matter, he's been wrong domestically because there's no policy that he's ever advanced or agreed to. That has worked. But other than that, he's a great candidate, right? You, you really want Joe Biden? I mean, he's going to be wrong on everything. And, and by the way, old dogs, new tricks. Remember that line? Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, that's <laughs> cruel. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Look, Joe. He's, he, what, he's been in the Senate for how many years? 40 Since years? Since 1974. Okay, so So 74 so to 2008. Was that 20? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been 40-plus years, years and uh, he's never been right on any position he's ever taken, including the the first Persian Gulf War, as I understand it. He was against that. He he opposed that one. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, the the war that everyone else agreed with, Joe. So anyway, um, you you got the idea. It's it's, uh, a—I just just scratch my head, like— I'm not even. I'm just thinking. With putting a liberal hat on, if I if I can fancy myself to be a liberal for the moment, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I want somebody that is uh, just sounds decent, that doesn't constantly make mistakes, and is right once in a while? Just that's all I. And, and doesn't have to be. What? How old is he? Seventy. Yeah, Eight? 76, 77, 78. Like, I mean, it's a grandfather age, retirement age. I, I, I mean, he, something's wrong with this guy, right? And, and, and whose name isn't Michelle Obama, please. Let's yeah. just take that one off the table. Right, of course. Okay, so, so that's where you have that. That's the reach. And, and we talk, uh, of course, about the, the Republicans. Now, the Republicans, they are certainly in disarray. The, the things that are happening, even among the, uh, the field that's out there, it's like the Republicans are really trying to find the way, and I understand that. Uh, and then, of course, the House Speaker issue that's coming into play. No one seems to be able to galvanize around one speaker, and, and Paul Ryan is saying, well, I'll, I'll think about it if, if, I'm, if I'm confident that everyone's going to galvanize around me. That's not a smart comment on his part. Either he, he knows the field and he plays it right, and he makes sure that everyone is behind him, behind, uh, behind the scenes, or, but don't announce it. Don't don't say I, I, everyone has to believe in everything I say. 
There's only one explanation. He doesn't want it. He doesn't that's want it. Yeah, that, that's true. That. But but don't say it then. Right. Just don't even consider it and just say, thank you for the offer. I, I don't think that I, I would be able to lead everyone because I think the, the leader, the, the Speaker of the House, has to have everyone behind him. That he could have said, right? But he didn't say that. He said, I'm willing to consider it if everyone agrees to be behind me in every respect. That's just childish. everything I want. Yeah. I know this is supposedly a, a constitutional republic, and we kind of say live by, say, rules of democracy. But <laughs> in my case, if I'm going to be your king, yeah. you better do everything I say. I, then I'll be your king. It's, okay. I'm embarrassed. Huh? I'm embarrassed for him. Yeah. So, look, it, it, this kind of begs the question. We are finally coming to a, a real conflict between the Tea Party conservatives and the establishment uh, Republicans. So wh- where does it all unfold? And, and where do I stand on the whole thing? Uh, people want to know. I, I am a true conservative. I've come to the conclusion that um, virtually every classic conservative position is a position that I hold. And I, I suppose you could throw something at me and, and decide that that's a classic Republican issue that, gosh, you know, like somebody will no doubt write me and say, do you believe in slavery then? As if somehow that's a conservative issue. No, okay, I don't believe in slavery. Uh, do you believe in civil rights then? Yes, I believe in civil rights, okay? <laughs> but, but those are not uh, liberal positions, and nor are, they, are, in fact, they are conservative positions. Those to are hold. not only conservative, but they're traditional Republican positions. Yes. Since it was a Republican who got rid of slavery. Yeah. You and, and, idiots. And, and more Republicans voted for, percentage-wise, voted for the civil rights uh, uh, bill than, than Democrats did. So let's not even go there. Basically, uneducated people will try to strip me up on this one. But the reality is the classic conservative issues that, that we believe in, whether, whether it's gay marriage, I, look, I, it, maybe gay marriage is the one that I care least about, in a sense, I, I, but I am worried most about its consequences. Um, in and of itself, if I knew that there would never be, ever be a consequence after gay marriage, then I would be okay with gay marriage. But I know that, that it's, it just it set a precedent of what marriage is, and I can't help but feel that it was a cynical attempt to uh, undermine marriage. That, that's my and personal religion. feeling. And Yes, and religion. And, and how do I feel that all the more so these days? When they started trying to force people, photographers and florists and bakers and such, uh, to participate in gay, gay weddings against their will. I didn't like that. I call that slavery, my friends. Okay? And I also don't like it when they're now trying to force uh, synagogues and churches to perform gay weddings or lose their 501c3 status okay? or funding or whatever it might be. I think that's despicable. Okay, So I think it kind of more or less um, supports our concern about the consequences of gay marriage. All right, so we're not really delving into that, and, but, but I'm finding that I, I, I'm very concerned about gay marriage for that reason. But in, in every other respect, I'm firmly, firmly for the conservative position, whether it's lowering taxes, uh, limited government, abortion, um, and, and you name it. National uh, security, national security policy, yeah. whatever the, they the are. spreading of liberty yeah, and so more on. More freedom, less government. You got it. You know. Okay, so, so I think, why is that so hard? I mean, clearly, even the establishment Republicans... They, they talk, they pay lip service to this, right? From time to time. No, no, but, but they, they know that this is what they're supposed to believe in. Generally, yes. Okay, no, no, but, but bear with me. Yeah, I, I am. Okay. I am. 
because I'm about to get to your, your point that I, that I think you want to make as well. They know that they don't like abortion. And they, they, they pay lip service that they say that we are very concerned and we're, we're pro-life. They say those words. And yet, when it comes to actually legislating, they, they want to meet in the middle. Well, either you're pro-life or you're not, not. pro-life. And, and, and it's really somewhat binary, isn't it? Uh, yes, you can, you can say, look, I want to chip away at the pro-choice movement as much as possible and impose regulation after regulation for those abortions that are performed. But your ultimate goal is to destroy the, the whole industry of abortion altogether. I respect that. Yeah. Plus, aren't you supposed to be against regulations? Right. Well, okay, but but, in the, but you use like, your own weapons against them. Right. We don't we don't regulate murder. We outlaw it. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, that's that's. But what they're saying in the meantime is yes. Let's let's make it as as more as onerous as possible to get an abortion as possible. Okay. Now, take that position, but don't don't encourage abortion. I mean, they, you can't play that game. Uh, and then when it came to, comes to taxes, people say, yes, I don't like high taxes. Taxes are not, not good for the development of the country. Let's impose taxes, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you see this happen all the time. And, and they call themselves moderates somehow. But what, what is a moderate to you? What, what is this establishment Republican, this, this new animal that I, I don't understand very well, uh, who on the one hand says all these you know, good conservative principles and then says that in order to be a good Republican, you have to compromise and, and actually agree with the Democrats on, on these other positions. Very bizarre to me. I, I don't get it. Same thing with uh, these regulations and, and creations of, of governmental entities. EPA, Department yeah. of Energy, IRS. Right. Why, uh, Ted Cruz came out to abolish the IRS. Why hasn't the whole party come out to abolish the uh, IRS yes. after seeing what the IRS did to the citizens? Of course, of course. Well, why, uh, why not about... Uh, and then this... You know, I think Jeb Bush brought up a whole new concept of uh, a whole new uh, standards of, of education testing and... Tommy uh, Core. Yeah, Tommy Core. Uh, and why? Why are, you, why are you agreeing with this, even in principle, and saying that somehow that this nationalized standard testing is somehow good because that because that reflects your core belief that somehow we need to impose a standard that 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 flies against everything that conservatives believe everything or even if there is a standard why does it have to come from the federal government why can't it come from cities locations well that, that's my point districts that's why i said national right. standards or federal standards I, I i agree that that the standards should be applied locally yeah, Period. If they are. That's it. If they it, are there, uh, look. Even if a if a school says, "Look, we want these standards, you know, for our children to, to be in school." Fine. And then the parents can choose. Okay, you have very lackadaisical standards. Well, I don't want to be in that school, or maybe I, I'm cool with that that lackadaisical standard. But most parents wouldn't be. They they want some rigor in their education, and and that's what a responsible parent yeah. is all about. But, right. But. But these these conservatives, these sorry, these Republicans who are establishment, I don't know really what they stand for at all, and and that's why I I don't respect them. Now you may say, look, Barack, this is the way Washington works, and you know we have to, you know, if you want to get anything done, well, you have to chip away and and hope to kind of toe the line with the Democrats, and and because when they advance something, well, then you know. They may want a 99% tax. Well, you go out there and you fight and you say it should only be 78%, let's say. Okay, well, you're kind of towing the line. But that's not what I'm seeing, first of all. What I'm seeing instead is that they're actually advancing 
these regulatory schemes. Uh, our own Republicans. And also, when do Democrats chip? They never chip. Right. They, they steamroll right. you. And secondly, um, they're, they're advancing their own, their own schemes. Right? I, 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 I don't understand this. So they, that, that's what must be these, the establishment Republicans. It's, it, there's something bad about this. Now, it gets to, to one of the themes that I wanted to talk about today. And that's the theme of that poison in the water. What do I mean by that? If you have even a drop of arsenic in a, in, a, in a barrel of water, let's say, okay, you ain't drinking that water, okay? Well, you may say, well, what's the big deal? You know, 99 parts out of the 100 are, are not poisoned. I mean, really poison. Maybe I shouldn't use arsenic, but just like something really, really deadly. Well, I think deadly. the sewage in the wine is probably a better analogy. Would you drink wine, really good wine, with a drop of sewage in it? Yeah, good example. It's not poison, but do you really want to drink any sewage? It's, 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 the, the wine is forever tainted, right? right? You don't want to drink that wine. And, and I'm not talking about purity in that, in that sense that, that other people may interpret this. I am saying, however, that... When you compromise so much and to the point that you forget who you are, I mean, at what point do you say, for example, using that, the sewage and the wine example that we just talked about, you know, you're okay with one drop. I mean, you shouldn't be, but let's say you are okay. You just say, you know, I won't, I won't taste it. You're not a wine connoisseur, let's say, okay? You just, wine is wine to you, and as long as it tastes okay and you don't notice it, you think, okay, cool. And then uh, two drops of wine. Of sewage. Uh, sorry, of in sewage wine. in the wine. Three drops, five drops. You probably still won't notice it. And at some point, the, wi- the wine, if you get used to it, now, now it's a 10 drops, now it's a 20 drops. You start getting, it is tasting a little different, but you know what? It's so imperceptible, you didn't really notice it. And now you're constantly drinking wine with 20 drops of sewage. And that, that begins to you begin to now see that the standard is 20 drops of sewage. And you don't, know, you don't remember what the taste of wine was like in its more pure form. And then it becomes 21%. Uh, 21 drops and 25 drops and 100 drops. And soon, soon enough, it's half the bottle is sewage. And you say, hey, speaking about the, the bottle being half full, right? It's still half wine. We should be happy with that. But, we're, but we ought not to be happy with it. Because it just get, it's getting worse and worse. And then at some point, you say, is this really wine at all? And soon, at some point, you say, well, it's wine because there's one drop of wine there. <laughs> and the rest is sewage. Again, as they said on Seinfeld, adjacent to garbage is garbage. Right. It's, it's so true. Right. Well, yeah. I, let, let's stick with the dilution thing because that goes now into Congress. Now, I want to talk about that because the Democrats have so infused their liberal policies that... We've forgotten what is conservative and what is sewage, right? I think our conservative ideologies have been so tainted, so diluted by sewage that it's only a question of perspective. Literally, the Frank Dodd bill can come out, for example, which is a horrible bill. Uh, and and the, the conservatives will say somehow... Republicans, you mean? The yeah, the, the Republicans, the establishment, conser- uh, Republicans will say, you see, this is conservative. It's, it, it somehow makes sure to advance our democracy. They, they can spin it whatever way they want, in the same way that you could spin that half 
a, full, a half sewage full a bottle of wine to be still wine. It ain't wine. It's crap. Right. Literally. It, yeah. And you, and we don't want to be drinking that. Thank you very much. And and the, the Tea Party finally resulted from the rise of, of Obama. And I say the rise of Obama somewhat illustratively, and I want to make a point here. There is a rise of him, and this rise is a, a rise of incompetence and at the same time really bad ideas and really destructive ideas. And it rose from one other thing that's ignored a lot of times. It was George W. Bush doing the TARP bailouts. Yes. Something so anathema to conservative ideas. So essentially communism from the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's a very good example Which of is, exactly what I'm talking right. about. That he was somehow thinking that we should employ what is ultimately a very liberal concept in order to advance a conservative position. I mean, you, you're basically buying the argument that liberalism works. Exactly. And it just doesn't. We, we know that it didn't work. The stimul- And then the subsequent stimulus didn't work either. Nothing works it, it, on the liberal side of it. And we are now in a position where, thank goodness, that the Tea Party has arrived um, they have demonstrated a remarkable amount of um, power, um, stamina, power, persuasiveness, and I dare say righteousness. And growth. They haven't oh, been hold stopped. On. And I dare say righteousness. And I want to I talk about that. Because think about it. It's been, they've been around for a six good, years. good six plus years. Uh, and you would think that there would be uh, some taint to them at some point. You know, here's a Tea Party rally, and boy, they really, they, they crapped all over the place, and they, they littered all over the place, and they did graffiti everywhere, and these guys are reckless monsters, and, you know, exactly what the Occupy Wall Street movement was, you know, somehow would be tainted. But, but when the liberals do it, then, of course, they're heroes. Never mind how disgusting the Occupy Wall Street movement was. Had the Tea Party done even one one hundredth, even one littering, it would have been all over the news. And I'm, that's why I, I focus on the word righteousness, because it's very hard to, to say anything about the Tea Party other than, boy, those guys sure are conservative, which I think is, I, I admire. And clean. Yeah. They pick up every piece of trash. Right. And what's wrong with being very conservative? Today, very conservative means you like what the Constitution says. It simply says, Please, let's maintain the Constitution for what it is. Okay? It doesn't say that everyone has to... This is, what, this is their cartoonish uh, example of what the Tea Party is. It doesn't say, you know, somehow we want to enslave women, as if somehow that was ever a conservative position. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't say we want to make uh, people unequal, as if somehow that was a conservative position. I mean, it doesn't say that um, we want to maintain slavery or anything. It, it's just, it's so absurd. If we, if we simply adhered to the Constitution as it is, with obviously throwing out the, um, the antiquity of, of slavery, which is no longer relevant, but, and of course abolished, but if you just adhere to the Constitution as it is, what's wrong with that? Everything about it is, is perfect. I always thought one of the greatest contradictions ever is the Tea Party, which I'm a part of, is agitating for one thing, freedom. Right. How, if I'm agitating for freedom, am I agitating for slavery or the enslavement of women or the enslavement of blacks? Yeah, and here we are just pretending to, we're trying to figure out that the arguments that the liberals will, will present against us, but they're false arguments. Look, 
here's the main point I want to say about this. What is so old-fashioned about the Constitution? That's what I, I, I kind of want to understand. And, and I'll, I'll give them one argument, but I'll, I'll show why it's wrong in a moment. If we are to live and live by the uh, Constitution in its fullest extent, obviously with the repeal of slavery, thank goodness, then it would be uh, what? What about it is is somehow antiquated? What? That 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 uh, all rights are derived by God to be free and to to seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That that I know that's not in the Constitution, the Declaration, but you get my drift. That uh, we should be, um, you know, cannot quarantine soldiers. You need a warrant. You need a jury trial. Um, uh, you have the right to free speech, the, the right to, to exercise uh, freedom of religion and such. What ab- about any of those things is antiquated? So here's the argument they'll say, because they, they only have one, and that's guns, right? They'll say, well, the Second Amendment, you know, it's back, that was back in a time where, um, you know, we're fighting against the British, and it was an antiquated notion that, you, you know, you needed a militia to suddenly rise up, if necessary, against the British, as if somehow the, the, the founding fathers were so stupid as to think that the, that the Constitution only dealt with um, the, um, would only deal with the British who would constantly coming over and over again. No, the Constitution was created after we had already declared independence, after we had already won the war. People forget this. Yeah, in the 1780s, I believe. Yeah, the 1789. Right. That's the birth of our Constitution. And... America was had already won the war and everything was done and, and you know we weren't worried about the British coming in anymore. We we purposely put that because we knew that it wasn't limited to the British. It was it, it was always possible that the government, including our own government, especially our own government, right, could step over its appropriate power boundaries, and that's why you you, you need a citizenry that is ready to fight and to say. We ain't, we ain't going to accept this. Isn't it interesting that what you just said, that the most vocal opposition to the Second Amendment are the same people who constantly claim that the police are out of control and must be stopped from killing black people? Yeah, oh, so true. <laughs> Wouldn't you think, if they were logical, right. that they would be the biggest supporters of the Second Amendment, which says you have the right to defend yourself from tyrants? Yeah. Who are armed under the color of authority? Oh, that's a very good point. Wow, that's a, that's a really good point. Like, uh, high five. All right. <laughs> it's a good point. I mean, look, if you, you know, the, but they're caught between the, the skill and the charybdis, as they say. Yes. Where, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, they, they, they love um, the, uh, the notion of controlling all guns. On the other hand, they want to say that the police are corrupt and power hungry and everything else, and they want to be victims. Which is it? You, you can't have it both. Right, okay. and and there's Scott in that in that bind from that uh, police song. I know it's Greek mythology, because they, politically they like police brutality. Every time it happens, they can run in front of the cameras and use it for uh, their political advantage. I, you're oppor- it's opportunistic, but that's yeah. another story. Let's 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 move on. The, the other thing that they'll argue about the Second Amendment is that. You know, well, gosh, back then they only had rifles that you had to, you know, it was one shot at a time. It was before the age of uh, machine guns and semi-automatics and and all these things. Okay, here's my response to that. Really? 
Do you really think that the founding fathers were so stupid to not figure this out? Do you think that they were, did not understand what innovation would, would entail in the future? Of course they knew that. Just like you and I know that we're, we're going to have a, a better iPhones and, and better watches and, and cars may indeed fly in the sky. Okay, this is not so, so crazy. It's not as if they, they've blocked out their ability to reason to, to figure things out in the, for the future. They themselves saw that guns were improving over, over the decades. They knew that just from the French and Indian Wars compared to the, to the uh, American Independence War. The, the guns had gotten better. And the War of 1812 that happened 15, 20 years after the uh, Second Amendment was ratified. You think, based on that logic, that the War of 1812 comes around, guns are better, and they would immediately repeal the Second Amendment based on that logic. Yes, exactly. Right, right. after the War of 1812. Right, and why not Whoa, the Civil guns are too dangerous now. Right, and the Civil War, the Civil War, there was a, a, a huge increase in the um, accuracy of guns and the power of guns, and to some extent they had rapid-fire guns as well, close, you know, a precursor to machine guns. Did, did anyone stop that? No. Yeah. Can I make a quick point here? Um, I, I wrote down the word Switzerland because yeah. you were talking earlier about the establishment of Republicans and this idea of compromise. And Switzerland's very important. Switzerland is neutral. And I used to think, oh, neutral is like good. But Dennis Prager then pointed out, no, neutral is neutral. And neutral stands as equally with evil as it does with good, which means anything that stands with evil has to, by definition, be evil. So when Republicans say, in opposition to evil liberal policies, we're in opposition to evil liberal policies, but we must moderate our position, well, either the evil liberal policy, like funding Planned Parenthood or funding the Iran deal, is evil, and you must stand with every fiber in your being against it, or you're siding with it. Yeah, necessarily I, I by compromising with it. That's right. I, I agree. Uh, it, it's this, um, you know, one of the, the, the mantras that I have, and we forget to understand what, what, what our main problem is. I mean, we, we're constantly on the, we, we conservatives, by definition, are always on the defensive. We forget that. I, I make the old joke, but I think it's an accurate joke, that liberals go to Washington to make laws and regulations. Republican, uh, conservatives go to Washington to stop liberals from making laws and regulations. Right. Okay? That's very hard, right? That's, that's like, you know, uh, like, it's like playing the game um, Asteroids, or not Asteroids, uh, Space Invaders. If you, were, if, if you know that uh, video game where you're on, the, you're on the bottom of the screen, you kind of scramble back and forth, and all these aliens are coming down from the top of the screen that are trying to get through, through you, and you're supposed to shoot them all down, okay? And guess what? You just can't do it all. Some of them will get through. And that's who we are. The conservative is that, is that guy trying to stop the liberals from making the all these crazy... The catcher in the rye. Hang on. Someone's going to get caught. Hang on. Or you, not you've caught. got you've, you, They're constantly going to get bombardment of aliens going through. And it's hard to stop them. And, and at some point, and if you start giving up, if you're not vigilant enough, too many things are going to get through. And then you're going to forget... Who's, whose army you're on? Who, who are you? And I think that's what's happened. I mean, that reminds me of another video game called Pac-Man, right? You know, you gobble up all these things, and at some point, if you're gobbled, then you become one of them. And, and I'm, I'm concerned about our conserv conservative establishment. And now they're worried because, you know, by golly, they get the, to call themselves the, the establishment. But the only reason why they get to call themselves the establishment because literally they've been around longer. And there, there are more of them than there are the Tea Party. 
But guess what? There's a lot of the Tea Party. And perhaps, just perhaps, the Tea Party actually represents the reality of conservatism. Yeah. And if that's the case, then we ought to look at maybe, maybe, maybe you ought to look at that wine bottle and say, you know what? It is kind of dirty, <laughs> right? It is full of sewage. <laughs> Disgusting. Right? <laughs> and, and that's why it tastes like. That's why it so tastes. And, and and you just don't realize. Oh my gosh, I, I, I could have had this beautiful bottle of wine, and you know what? It is better. They do represent so much more, and and this is what led this country to be so great in the first instance. I want that bottle of wine. Thank you very much. And yeah, I can say this from the comfort of not being a congressman without being pulled and pushed. Uh, for, you know, to to uh, to get my bill through for something else, but I don't give a crap about that. The reality is that we need to focus on what is true conservatism and work toward that, as opposed to forgetting what con- what true conservatism is in the first place. My friends, this is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs> <laughs>